Last week, we said that one of the keys to becoming like Jesus is not trying harder. It's practice. Just practicing small things. For instance, I, uh, uh, I have a daughter who today is practicing for a half marathon in a couple of weeks. She's going to run 13 miles today. And, uh, and if I wanted to, I could just go there and run right along with her, right? <laughs> not a chance. It would not matter how much I wanted to run 13 miles with her. Unless there were a car nearby, I could not do it. No matter how hard I wanted Because she has practiced half mile by half mile by mile by two by four by six. And she's now able to run further than her father thinks the human body should do anything. That's the difference between desire. I want to be a good Christian. I want to follow Jesus and practice. If I do small things now, I can do other things later. That's what John Ortberg talked to us about. Remember, John said... A spiritual discipline is any activity that we do that allows us, by repetition, to do what we cannot currently do by desire. In other words, we do small things now, we'll be able to do other things that we cannot do right now. We talked about how silence is the foundation to hearing God speak. That's sort of the first step, first practice step. So maybe the second step, if... Me being quiet alone, the second step would be to see what happens when we get together. Could God speak to us together? That's why worship is seen as one of these spiritual disciplines, one of these tools that God uses. Worship is the really, it's the only thing that's unique to the church. You think about it. Everything else that we do, somebody else does. We do good things for the poor, but you know... So does the Red Cross. We develop good friendship. Well, so does Rotary and the Lions Club and all these other things. We, we teach people, but so do schools and educational systems. The only thing that the church does uniquely is to say there is an invisible God around us. And if you listen close together, you can hear God speak. We call that worship. We turn aside from the daily routine, the way Moses did. Remember Moses? He was herding his sheep, and all of a sudden he sees a burning bush, and he turned aside and went there and found that he was on holy ground. God talked to him. Isaiah goes to sleep, and he says, All of a sudden, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. That's worship. Worship is when we turn aside to focus on God, And try to listen to what God would say to you. It's not about religion at all. It's you saying something to God and God saying something to you. That's why worship is supposed to be so incredible. Is that your usual experience in worship? Or not? Do you usually just come because it's 11 o'clock? Come because somebody has dragged you here. Come because you'll see your friends. Worship in America has changed, and and we need to figure out what's changed. I I got an example of what worship is really like from a church in California this week. I thought I'd, I'd show you this. It's about two minutes long. Welcome, and thank you for worshiping with us today. For the consideration of those around you, kindly turn off all cell phone, electronic, and messaging devices at this time. 
If your device should go off during announcements today, in addition to your regular weekly offering, you will be fined $25. Should your device go off during prayer concerns, the fine will increase to $50. If your device goes off during our sermon today, you're going to hell. Remember, God wants your complete attention. Thank you, and enjoy the service. Westminster Presbyterian Church in Burbank. Sunday services at 9 and 10.30. No shoes, no shirt, no service. Now, I'm not sure if that church has a lot more people going to it or a lot fewer people going to it. But people know that there's something different happening there, right? And it talks about our culture as much as it talks about our worship. And it's a struggle. It's always been a struggle to worship. That's why the writers of the Bible would speak to people who were now following Jesus and say, this is why you should worship. The author to the Hebrews says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, like going to the Jewish temple, but going into the Holy of Holies, since we have confidence by the blood of Jesus, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God, worship, with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. So worship helps faith. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water so somehow worship makes us clean. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess so coming to worship should give you hope. For he who promised is faithful. And let's consider how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds so what happens in here should affect us out there. And let's not giving up, let's not give up meeting together the way some of you are. Back then already, Christmas and Easter people. Let's not give up meeting together, but encourage one another. All the more as you see the day approach. It's been a challenge to worship God right from the start. And I gotta tell you, um, it's been a challenge for me. I, I grew up, excuse me, I grew up, as many of you knew, in a Catholic uh, background and uh, and so while I was very young, there was something mysterious, and God was there at church. I got over that pretty quickly, and the mass became just a very boring, hard forty seven forty eight forty nine minutes to go through and uh, and as soon as my parents stopped making me go, I stopped going and when I came back to Christ in college. When I started to believe in God, I went back to church and it had not changed. It was still pretty boring, whether I was Protestant or Catholic, and I found it hard to go. Because I had come to Christ in a campus life. It's like young life. And all these kids were like my age and they sang all these great songs and the people there talked about God and they had a great time. And the speakers were incredible. And then I went to church. And it wasn't like that at all. So it was a struggle for me to worship for a long time. And and then I realized something was missing. I came back to God 
saved by grace. But that wasn't supposed to be the end of the story. Dallas Willard says it well. He says, many people are not only saved by grace, but they're paralyzed by grace. God isn't opposed to our effort. God is just opposed to our trying to earn our good way into heaven. You have to try. So I had to go to worship. So, I'd come, and one of the things that struck me right away was when I started to worship as a young adult, that there were some of, I don't want to say some of you, there were some of them who would come to worship every week, and they seemed to have a good time, and they left, and they were grouchy, and they were terrible, and they were no fun to be around. They came, and they never changed. God never changed them, and I wondered why. When we do baptisms here, we baptize a baby. I say, you know, when we baptize a baby here, it's not like the kid automatically becomes a Christian any more than if you go to sleep in the garage, you're going to wake up a car. Just going does not do it. Some of you really think that uh, the way to please God is to show up in church, and then you don't have to change. But others of you would like to change, and you come here hoping that you will change, and you leave, and you haven't changed. What you need are some tools in worship that are more than just putting your seat in the pew. So it starts by saying, what is challenging about worship? What makes it hard to worship? Why is worship boring in those other churches? What's... What's a challenge about worship? I did this last night at the 5 o'clock crowd, and they had some good reasons that worship in those other churches was, was boring. What are some things that make it hard to worship? Anybody? It's monotonous. It's the same every time. What else? The time. Absolutely. It takes time, and I'm busy. What else? There's a lot of distractions. That's right. What else? Lack of inspiration. Well, in those other churches, I'm sure that's true. <laughs> right. It's not inspirational at all. What else? Boring preaching. Boring preaching. <laughs> You've quit preaching. You started meddling. I think that's enough from this crowd. <laughs> Hey, I wrote down some of the same things you did. Worship is hard because it takes so much time. Everything else in my life I can do fast, but I can't worship fast. Some of you come and you say, boy, I wish the sermon was deeper. Some of you are sitting here going, he just talked about the book of Hebrews. Where is that? There's such a variety of our knowledge about the Bible, it's hard to get on the same wavelength. Some of you find the obstacle in worship is music. And some of you are going, what's that thing over there? And for some of you, that's an obstacle. For others of you, I think, though, that um, the main obstacle is that you're consumers. And you have developed a discriminating nose. You know a good car from a bad car, a good TV show from a bad TV show, good clothes from bad clothes... And you come in and you evaluate worship. Too short, too long, too slow, too fast, too deep, too shallow, too whatever. And if it doesn't measure up, then you don't worship. In the same way, I I think that the biggest obstacle for people in worship today, maybe the biggest one, 
is that you come out of church and you go, how was worship? As if worship depended on the way you feel afterwards. As if somehow, whether I meet God or not, depends on how I feel during the hour. And that, when you say it, that doesn't sound right, but that's how we're programmed. I felt the Spirit of God today. I felt like I slept today. Which one met God? Maybe both, maybe neither. So what I want to suggest is that there's more to worship than just sitting in the pew. And I want to just offer you three spiritual practices that you should put into your life if you want worship to help you follow Jesus. Three of them. The first one is easy. It's be still. Be still. The psalmist says, be still and know that I'm God. Because you live too fast. We have to adjust our speed. Right at this point, literally, right at this point at the 930 service, somebody's cell phone right up there went off. And I'm not kidding you, they were going like this, and everybody else was moving away from them. (laughs) Let me give you a spiritual discipline that is in worship. Inconvenience. It is good that worship is inconvenient. Because that means that you go to a place that you don't choose, at a time that you don't choose, for a purpose that you do choose. In the 930 service, one of the persons uh, said that her biggest obstacle to worship was that she could never get a parking space. It's inconvenient. I understand that. Another spiritual practice to being still is association. What that means is that real worship happens when you are with some people that you like and with some people that you don't like for a purpose that you believe in. Real worship happens when it's not about who's sitting next to you, but when all generations are together. And including people you don't like or don't know. C.S. Lewis gives this book, The Screwtape Letters, to to have a devil tempt somebody away from heaven. And he, he says, I can't believe you let this person become a Christian. Don't worry, the church is on our side. The first time they go to church, they're going to see people that they've been avoiding for years. That's part of the discipline of worship. Be still. Can you be still? In the same way, the second spiritual discipline is be aware. Only when you're still can you be aware that most of the noise in the rest of my week is just noise. I need to be aware. And one of the words that I wrote down that helps us be aware is the word ritual. Now, ritual has a bad name for us. We think of it like a rut. A ritual is a rut. But ritual is this. Ritual is doing the same thing. Doing the same things that I may like and doing things that I may not like so that I capture meaning over time. Same things over time. Like, don't like, but capture meaning. So, for instance, um, here in this service... uh, we rarely say the confession like we do at 9.30, and there you go, God, we apologize that we've offended you against heart, word, and deed, the things we've done, the things we've left undone, and you say it a little faster every week. That is meaningless confession. But what if you stopped and said, if you close your eyes for just a second, and said, what's the first bad thing you've done that comes to mind? Raise your hand. I wouldn't even have to wait for all the hands to go up. That's real confession. 
So ritual helps us realize that confession is there. Laura got this uh, in a fresh way when we were down in Florida. How many of you know what this is? Sign of the cross, that's right. You grew up in the real church, the Catholic church, you know that. But we went to an Episcopal church for Ash Wednesday and she saw this. She turns to me and she goes, what's that, the trifecta? And I, I said, no, honey. That's the sign of the cross, that God will seal my mind and God will guard my mouth and God will be in my heart. And she goes, well, that makes sense. That's ritual. Be aware. We're aware when it makes sense, but we're also aware when we're paying attention. And you can't worship unless you pay attention. Attentiveness is waiting for what I may receive only by waiting. Waiting for what I will receive only by waiting. And sometimes you don't know what it is until it's over. What will God say to you today? It may already have happened in the children's sermon. It may happen at communion. Maybe something that's said or sung. It may be a conversation you have on the way out. It may be some little lady that you help into her car. God knows. That's the key. God knows. Are you going to pay attention? Not unless you are still, and not unless you are aware. And the third spiritual discipline is that we worship God when we be ready. When we be ready. And the two examples out of a lot of them that I used here are hospitality. People have to realize that worship isn't really worship until it does something. Hospitality is using my presence and our space to help others feel welcome in the presence of God. Using my presence in our space to make others feel welcome in the presence of our God. That's why you're wearing name tags. That's why we literally almost beg you to greet somebody afterwards. That's why the heroes are the people who invite folks to come and wait for them not to show up. That's why we love having greeters and ushers and you all, because that's a little bit of what God wants us to do in worship, hospitality. In the same way, generosity. If it's not changing you, it's not worship. Generosity just says, I will have a growing pleasure in being fruitful more than being consumptive. Jesus talked all the time about money, and that's why. Because he wanted you to be free, to be fruitful, to give and bless as opposed to being consumptive. And that's why we give in worship. There's a lot of other things we could do. It's a spiritual discipline in worship for hearing God's justice proclaimed. That's not politics, it's justice. In the same way, if God created the planet Saturn with rings around it, shouldn't worship be creative so you could see creativity? All right, we're just going to put a list of all, all of them that we've mentioned up there. Here's what I'd like you to do. Look at that list and say, is there one of those that you like? One of those that you go, I can do that. I can really do that. If there's one of those that you like and it would help you worship, just raise your hand. Look at it. See which one it is. Just raise your hand. Okay, some of you. Some of you see one. Not all of you. That's fine. Some of you see one. Okay, now look at the list again. And say, is there one of these that you struggle with? One of these that's hard for you. 
that you need to be aware of is an obstacle for you. Look at the list. When you see one that you struggle with, raise your hand. Could I see the four of you that didn't raise your hand either time here afterwards? Worship is a tool, a gift that God offers you to become more like Jesus. But it's not sitting in the pews. It's what happens next is determine whether you worship or not. In the Old Testament, the prophets would say, I hate it when you go to church. Literally. I hate it when you go to church. I despise your sacrifices. Because you go to church and you sing the songs and you leave and you oppress the poor and you don't do justice. God spits that out. Are you worshiping? Really? It's either that or maybe occasionally God would touch you in worship. God would speak to you in ways that might actually change you. 20 years ago, I, I was still struggling with this worship thing, and I told the story of a, of a great church in Chicago, Fourth Presbyterian. If you ever go to Chicago, it's the beautiful old church right across from the John Hancock building on Michigan Avenue. Great church, but very formal, very formal. The ushers here are lucky because in that church, they wear morning suits, literally. When I went there the first time, back in the early 80s, the ushers still wore gloves, The pastor not only had a robe, he wore preaching tabs. He went up into a pulpit about 48 feet in the air, looked down on God. You know, this is a real church. It looks like a cathedral. It is right on Michigan Avenue. So they tell the story that one day that they were having worship and the preacher was just about to start preaching, walking up the stairs, and the back door on Michigan Avenue opens up and a street person comes in. Because the door is always open. And they go in there to get warm. Well, he comes in, but somebody's sitting in his usual spot in the back. So he keeps stumbling forward, looking for a place to sit. And he's stumbling forward because he's probably had a little too much. He keeps going forward, but there's no places to sit. And by now, everybody is watching just two things. Nobody's watching the preacher. Everybody's watching the street guy stumble forward. And everybody's looking back at the head usher to see if he's pulled his gun out yet. Because he's a very upright, very uptight lawyer. Finally, the street guy gets all the way toward the front and looks over and he finally just sits down right in the middle of the pew. Just sits down right in the middle of the aisle and looks up. And the, uh, they look back, people look back and the usher starts to move forward. You know, boom, 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 boom. Gets all the way up to the street guy and reaches down to grab him. And then he sits next to him. And he pulls the Bible out of the pew and he puts his arm around the street guy. Somebody worshipped that day. Will you? Lord Jesus, I thank you for my sisters and brothers here. The ones who are just sitting in church and the ones who are worshipping. And the ones who would like to know the difference. We come here and every month we take communion and sometimes we're just going through the motions and sometimes, sometimes we feel your presence. I pray that this morning we would have a sense of your presence, of your great love, that you never give up on us, and that you want to give us life. You want to give us life that is really life. Take the juice, take the bread, turn it into your body and blood for us.
Help us to worship in your name. Amen.